Chapter 16 of Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Wayne Cook. Home Education Series, Volume 3, School Education. By Charlotte A. Mason. Chapter 16. How to Use School Books Disciplinary Subjects of Instruction Having cleared our minds as to the end we have in view, we ask ourselves, is there any fruitful idea underlying this or that study that the children are engaged in? We divest ourselves of the notion that to develop the faculties is the chief thing, and a subject which does not rise out of some great thought of life we usually reject as not nourishing, not fruitful while we retain those studies which give exercise and habits of clear and orderly thinking. Mathematics, grammar, logic, etc., are not purely disciplinary. They do develop, if a bull may be allowed, intellectual muscle. We by no means reject the familiar staples of education in the school sense, but we prize them even more for the record of intellectual habits they leave in the brain tissue than for their distinct value in developing certain faculties open sesame i think we should have a great educational revolution once we cease to regard ourselves as assortments of so-called faculties and realized ourselves as persons whose great business it is to get in touch with other persons of all sorts and conditions of all countries and climes of all times past and present history would become entrancing literature a magic mirror for the discovery of other minds the study of sociology a duty and a delight we should tend to become responsive and wise humble and reverent recognizing the duties and the joys of the full human life we cannot of course overtake such a program of work but we can keep it in view and i suppose every life is molded upon its ideal the bible the great storehouse of moral impressions valuable as are some compendiums of its moral teaching it is to the bible itself we must go as to the great storehouse of moral impressions let us hear de quincey on this subject Quote, it had happened that among our vast nursery collection of books was the bible illustrated with many pictures and in long dark evenings as my three sisters with myself sat by the firelight round the guard of our nursery no book was so much in request among us it ruled us and swayed us as mysteriously as music our younger nurse whom we all loved would sometimes according to her simple powers endeavour to explain what we found obscure we the children were all constitutionally touched with pensiveness the fitful gloom and sudden lambencies of the room by firelight suited our evening state of feelings and they suited also the divine revelations of power and mysterious beauty which awed us above all the story of a just man man and yet not man real above all things and yet shadowy above all things who had suffered the passion of death in palestine slept upon our minds like early dawn upon the waters the nurse knew and explained to us the chief differences in oriental climates 
and all these differences as it happens express themselves more or less in varying relation to the great accidents and power of summer the cloudless nights of syria these seem to argue everlasting summer the disciples plucking the ears of corn that must be summer but above all the very name of palm sunday a festival in the english church troubled me like an anthem effect of our liturgy on a child i cannot refrain from adding de quincey's beautiful words describing the effect of our liturgy upon him as a child on sunday mornings i went with the rest of my family to church it was a church on the ancient model of england having aisles galleries organ all things ancient and venerable and the proportions majestic here whilst the congregation knelt through the long litany as often as we came to that passage so beautiful amongst many that are so where god is supplicated on behalf of all sick persons and young children and that he would show his pity upon all prisoners and captives i wept in secret and raising my streaming eyes to the upper windows of the galleries saw on days when the sun was shining a spectacle as affecting as ever prophet can have beheld the sides of the windows were rich with stained glass through the deep purples and crimsons streamed the golden light emblazonaries of heavenly illumination from the sun mingling with the earthly emblazonaries from art and its gorgeous colouring of what is grandest in man there were the apostles that had trampled upon earth and the glories of earth out of celestial love to man there were the martyrs that had borne witness to the truth through flames through torments through armies of fierce insulting faces there were the saints who under intolerable pangs had glorified god by meek submission to his will god speaks to children also in dreams and by the oracles that lurk in darkness but in solitude above all things when made vocal to the meditative heart by the truths and services of a national church god holds with children communion undisturbed solitude though it may be silent as light is like light the mightiest of agencies for solitude is essential to man all men come into this world alone all leave it alone End quote. principles on which to select school books in their power of giving impulse and stirring emotion is another use of books the right books but that is just the question which are the right books a point upon which i should not wish to play sir oracle the hundred best books for the schoolroom may be put down on a list but not by me i venture to propose one or two principles in the matter of school books and shall leave the far more difficult part the application of those principles to the reader for example i think we owe it to children to let them dig their knowledge of whatever subject out of the fit book and this for two reasons what a child digs for is his own possession what is poured into his ear like the idle song of a pleasant singer floats out as lightly as it came in and is rarely assimilated i do not mean to say that the lecture and the oral lesson are without their uses but these uses are to give impulse and to order knowledge 
and not to convey knowledge or to afford us that part of our education which comes of fit knowledge fitly given again as i have already said ideas must reach us directly from the mind of the thinker and it is chiefly by means of the books they have written that we get into touch with the best minds marks of the fit book as to the distinguishing marks of a book for the schoolroom a word or two may be said a fit book is not necessarily a big book john quincy adams aged nine wrote to his father for the fourth volume of smollett for his private reading though as he owned up his thoughts were running on birds eggs and perhaps some of us remember going religiously through the many volumes of Allison's History of Europe with a private feeling that the bigness of the book swelled the virtue of the reader. But now big men write little books to be used with discretion, because sometimes the little books are no more than abstracts, the dry bones of the subjects, and sometimes the little books are fresh and living. Again, we need not always insist that a book should be written by the original thinker, it sometimes happens that second-rate minds have assimilated the matter in hand and are able to give out what is in their own thought parentheses, only because they have made it their own M parentheses, in a form more suitable for our purpose than that of the first-hand thinkers we cannot make any hard and fast rule a big book or a little book a book at first hand or second hand either may be right provided we have it in us to discern a living book, quick, and informed with the ideas proper to the subject of which it treats. How to use the right books. So much for the right books. Then the right use of them is another matter. The children must enjoy the book. The ideas it holds must each make that sudden, delightful impact upon their minds, must cause that intellectual stir which marked the inception of an idea. The teacher's part in this regard is to see and feel for himself, and then to rouse his pupils by an appreciative look or word, but to beware how he deadens the impression by a flood of talk. Intellectual sympathy is very stimulating, but we have all been in the case of the little girl who said, Mother, I think I could understand if you did not explain quite so much. A teacher said of her pupil, I find it so hard to tell whether she has really grasped a thing or whether she has only gotten the mechanical hang of it. Children are imitative monkeys, and it is the mechanical hang that is apt to arrive after a douche of explanation. Children must labor. This, of getting ideas out of them, is by no means all we must do with books. In all labor there is profit, at any rate in some labor and the labor of thought is what his book must induce in the child. He must generalize, classify, infer, judge, visualize, discriminate, labor in one way or another with that capable mind of his until the substance of his book is assimilated or rejected according as he shall determine. For the determination rests with him and not with his teacher. Value of Narration the simplest way of dealing with a paragraph or a chapter is to require the child to narrate its contents after a single attentive reading. One reading, however slow, should be made a condition, for we are all too apt to make sure we shall have another opportunity of finding out what tis all about. 
There is the weekly review if we fail to get a clear grasp of the news of the day. And if we fail a second time, there is a monthly or a quarterly review or an annual summing up. In fact, many of us let present-day history pass by us with easy minds, feeling sure that, in the end, we shall be compelled to see the bearings of events. This is a bad habit to get into, and we should do well to save our children by not giving them the vague expectation of second and third and tenth opportunities to do that which should have been done at first. A Single Careful Reading there is much difference between intelligent reading, which the pupil should do in silence, and a mere parrot-like cramming up of contents, and it is not a bad test of education to be able to give the points of a description, the sequence of a series of incidents, the links in a chain of argument, correctly after a single careful reading. This is a power which a barrister, a publisher, a scholar labors to acquire, and it is the power which children can acquire with great ease, and once acquired, the gulf is bridged which divides the reading from the non-reading community. Other ways of using books. But this is only one way to use books. Others are to enumerate the statements in a given paragraph or chapter, to analyze a chapter, to divide it into paragraphs under proper headings, to tabulate and classify series to trace cause to consequence, and consequence to cause, to discern character, and to perceive how character and circumstance interact, to get lessons of life and conduct, or the living knowledge which makes for science out of books. All this is possible for schoolboys and girls, and until they have begun to use books for themselves in such ways, they can hardly be said to have begun their education. The Teacher's Part the teacher's part is, in the first place, to see what is to be done, to look over the work of the day in advance and see what mental discipline, as well as what vital knowledge, this and that lesson afford, and then to set such questions and such tasks as shall give full scope to his pupil's mental activity. Let marginal notes be freely made, as neatly and beautifully as may be, for books should be handled with reverence. Let numbers, letters, underlying, be used to help the eye and to save the needless fag of writing abstracts. Let the pupil write for himself half a dozen questions which cover the passage studied. He need not write the answers if he be taught that the mind can know nothing but what it can produce in the form of an answer to a question put by the mind to itself. Disciplinary devices must not come between children and the soul of the book. These few hints by no means cover the disciplinary uses of a good school book. But let us be careful that our disciplinary devices and our mechanical devices to secure and tabulate the substance of knowledge do not come between the children and that which is the soul of the book, the living thought it contains. Science is doing so much for us in these days, nature is drawing so close to us, Art is unfolding so much meaning to us, the world is becoming so rich for us, that we are a little in danger of neglecting the art of deriving sustenance from books. Let us not in such wise impoverish our lives and the lives of our children. For, to quote the golden words of Milton, quote, 
books are not absolutely dead things but do contain a potency of life in them to be as active as that soul was whose progeny they are nay they do preserve as in a vial the purest efficacy and extraction of that living intellect that bred them as good almost kill a man as kill a good book who kills a man kills a good reasonable creature god's image but he who destroys a good book kills reason itself kills the image of god as it were in the eye End quote. End of chapter 16